OG Podcast Network presents. Welcome to Fireside. First off, welcome to Fireside. We'll be talking comic books the entire time. Ain't going nowhere, so dry your eyes. Already lasted longer than fireflies. Stay tuned, Mickey's got the creepiest news. From books to TV, the movie reviews. Plus the next toy, baby, here we choose. Even a superhero fight club, we usually lose. So pop in those earbuds, turn up those speakers. Feel my power, earth too. Hello, hello, hello! Welcome to another issue of Fireside Chats. I'm your host, Minty, and with me, as always, are my wonderful sidekicks. First, Mr. Baby Huey. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Then there's Mauer. Beep you. I, I, the cadence of that, I just hate. I do. I Beep hate you. I, Beep you. You're like a Muppet. Listen, <laughs> it's not about me. No, it's not. It's about the legendary. Prolific. Local hero. Well, you guys have low standards. Prolific. Holy shit. The one and only. Prolific. Say the word. Prolific. Thank you. Writer and friend to Fireside, Mr. Jonathan Mayberry. Hey guys, how's everybody doing? We're doing okay. A little busy, but probably not nearly as busy as you are. Uh, it's, it's just a, a tad, you know, with the, that whole V-Wars thing, um, plus other stuff that's going on. It's just been, it's been crazy, but good crazy. It's the kind of crazy one likes to have. I bet it is. So I saw V-Wars was trending the other night when you stayed up till oh dark 30 in the morning to watch the debut. It was trending number one in the United States, number three worldwide. And none of us really expected that. And I mean, it's it launched in 170, 197 markets, and uh, it's crazy because it's only 195 countries. So I'm not sure how that works, um, uh, but uh, also we uh, like we were number one on Netflix in the, in the United States. We're, we're I think we're still number one on UK Netflix, number three in China, um, which is funny because they don't actually it's not legally broadcast in China, so it's all people hacking into Netflix from China, and it, it trended at number three. So hey, you know, rock and roll. Um, but, uh, and according to TV time, it was the number one show on Thursday, the number one show in the world. And, uh, we were all like, what, you know, it's like, that is one of those moments where, you know, there, everyone associated with, with, uh, viewers did a simultaneous spit take. And don't forget being certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. But yes, we, we were, uh, we've been up and down with Rotten Tomatoes. I think the highest we were was 94 I think we're at 87 right now, um, and believe me, we're really happy with those numbers anywhere in that zone. And Howard Stern was talking about it this morning on his on his show, which freaked us all out. Yeah, it seems to be everywhere you look, somebody's talking about it, or they're interviewing Ian, and he seems to be talking about how much he loves you. <laughs> Ian and I are, are uh, really, we've got this little mutual, mutual admiration society. I really dig him, and, and we've become really good friends, and he's... He's promoting the books really well, and and uh, it's, it's great. We're we're creative partners on uh, on this, especially as we hopefully go into second season. We'll, we'll be much more creatively involved. Uh, in All right, that. so let's dive in. But before we do that, uh, for those listening that don't know what the show, book, or comic, board game, whatever is about, give us that famous elevator pitch. This this is the setup for V Wars. Melting polar ice um, releases an ancient disease. The trigger's a dormant gene, and that gene codes for a series of symptoms that 
in the past have, have been what led to the legends of vampires. It's not supernatural, it's genetic. And a percentage of the population has that, that active gene. And um, as people become vampires, they become, uh, some become predatory, some not, uh, but they're acting according to their nature as they evolve into what is likely the next step in evolution, leaving the rest of us behind. So there's a, a culture clash between them and us. There's a political clash. Um, uh, it's it's a wild and crazy story with a science fiction you know uh, background and actually real science background because it deals with climate change intolerance racism and other things that are sadly part of today's culture. All right, for those watching live, we're going to play the trailer. For those listening at home, you can pause, go to welcometofireside.com, and watch the trailer there. That trailer was super dope. Super dope. <laughs> super dope. Super dope. Super dope. Super dope. Before we get started, though, let's remind everyone. This is going to be a show full of spoilers, so please, spoiler warning alert. Spoiler alert, okay. Okay, at this point, you've had your V-War story in novel form, in graphic novel form, in board game. How does this hold up to the original? Well, considering this is my first TV show, um, you know, I I'm okay with any version of it. If they had done it with, with stick figures or, or, or sock puppets, I'd have been okay with it. Um, but the fact that they actually did a really good job with it is, is pretty exciting. Um, it does deviate a lot. Um, if You know what a line producer is? It's a person that goes in and budgets out how much everything will cost in a show. If a line producer had budgeted out how much it would cost to do the books as a, as a TV show, it would have been about $20 million an episode. And we did not have $20 million an episode. So what they did is they took one of the central plot lines, uh, which is, you know, the, the first vampire and the vampire expert and followed that. And they made some changes that work for television that are substantially different from the show. Um, but I'm OK with it for a couple of reasons. One, they did a good job with it and they, they went in interesting directions. They had a like a brother relationship between those two characters that was not in the book. They were strangers in the book. And also, um, as a as a fan, I don't like. 100% faithful adaptations in either TV or film. I want to be surprised. You know, I, I read all the Game of Thrones books. I read the Dexter novels and the True Blood novels. I wanted to be able to watch a show where I'm going to see something I don't know about. Same with Walking Dead. You know, I read all the comics. They got they make all sorts of twists and turns. So that's you know that's one thing. And the second thing is, if people want to see my version, the books are in print. You know, and that's freaking great. They can go read the books and, and get an idea of of what my version had been. And a lot of people are, in fact, doing that. They're reading both versions of it. So which of the stories are they pulling from for the TV show? I mean, there, there's actually a lot of elements of both the, the first volume and the comics that, that make up the first season. And by the way, for those who, who haven't read the books, just, just a, a quick a little backstory here. V-Wars books are shared world anthologies. I write the framing story uh, about a 40,000-word story, and I invited other writers in to write individual stories. So there are actually elements of the show that are based on stories by two other writers. The characters of Mila and Danica are from John Everson's story, Loveless, which is a fantastic story. And the, the uh, biker characters are from Nancy Holder's story. So those characters are, are, were folded into the, into the show, along with my characters from Junk, which is my primary story, and a few other things, and from the comics. 
So are you helping them go through and pick the storylines that you like most or that you think will transfer best to the TV show? Well, that, see, that process is, is undergoing a bit of change. In the first season, I was not an executive producer, and I was not involved in the majority of the, of the story development storytelling. Um, even though, I mean, not contractually anyway, uh, often what happened is the actors would reach out to me and ask about character insights, and we'd discuss that with them. But in terms of the writers and the writer's room, I wasn't really a part of that in the first season. Um, toward the end of that process, I got a little bit involved in it uh, because Ian Summerholder, our star, uh, wanted me involved in some decision-making. And um, if we got a second season pickup, um, I'm now an executive producer on the show, which I actually be involved in, in some story development for season two. So can you give us a little sneak peek of what might happen if we do get a second season? There are some things we want to do in the second season, and it's going to be, um, it's going to, if we get our, our pickup, um, Ian and I, and there's a, a fellow named James Gibb, who's one of the producers, he and I have been having some really great uh, creative discussions about where we want to go and how much blood we want to draw in terms of going into the politics of racism and intolerance and borders and, and all that. We, we're not going to pull any any fucking punches at all. Oh, good. <laughs> good. Because, uh, I mean, those themes were, were pretty heavy. I think they're, they're in the books, absolutely, but they're oh, very prominent in the show. Yeah. Uh, now, I understand the books were written in 2012. And, um, you know, so climate change was was not even much of a conversation when the books actually they were written in 2011 um, and it came out in 2012. Um, we were one of the first science fiction um, projects to actually discuss climate change and its its likely impact on us. And now in just in the last two years, we've seen what's happened with, with melting permafrost. Um, but there, there are a lot of issues that have come into our national conversation since then. I mean, the, the whole. Trump border wall bullshit. I mean, that's 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 huge now. Uh, there have been huge spikes in hate crimes and racism across the United States and in other countries around the world. And it doesn't matter which side of the political fence you're on. That shit's an inarguable fact. There is, you know, we're seeing racism rise, hatred rises because what happens is, both in the real real world and in our show and in the books, there's this moment when you realize that somebody is suddenly not who you thought they were. They're the other. And once you start defining them as the other, you lose your, your human connection to them. And, you know, the vampirism is a metaphor for that. And um, unfortunately, right now we're seeing it in our, our own country. You know, people on both sides of the political issue, people on, on, on both sides of, of various issues. There's no very little middle ground. It's suddenly this, this chasm of us and them. And them is, is we demonize them and we hate them. Um, and there, there's this there's this. Well, kind of a war going on, and um, the show is, is is touching on that really nicely. You know, it allows us to be a little more contemporary because the show was made when this is happening in the news right now, yeah, whereas the, the books were made when I was kind of anticipating this happening. The treaty episode to jump towards the end uh, when Swan basically says, "Listen, we can't do that right now. We need to get something that out there right away." And we yeah. gotta get something done tonight. We'll get there. Like really yeah. felt what we need right now. Like let's stop trying to go. We need all this. We need all that. Let's just get to something to start from. And then when they had the press conference, so like that definitely resonated with what we're going on today. Um, and it was pulled off in such a, an amazing way with the show. Have you gotten many comments about that or? 
Yeah, uh, we have. I've gotten, uh, it's funny, not a lot of people are talking about it as much online as I'd like them to, because we want conversations to start. But I'm getting a heck of a lot of private messages and emails about it, people saying that, you know, is this, is this you know, where the show is going? And is this, ta- you know, tapping into what's happening in, in the politics? And the answer is yes. You know, it absolutely is. And, um, I'm, you know, one of the things that the show is doing and one of the things that, you know, we want to do, certainly the books did, is we don't tell you which side you, you should or you have to agree with. It's showing you both sides of the issue with some insight into the motivations on both sides of the issue. Because, you know, one side, you know, neither side is completely wrong. Neither side is completely right. There is always room to meet in the middle and work things out. And, you know, that episode really touched on that, which is interesting because it was also the episode in directed. Wow. Because he directed and three, correct? He directed nine. He directed nine? episode nine. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, the, the ex- and, and that was what's it well so the the going back to what you were saying about how you're not quite sure which side it, it's going back into uh, volume one of the comic as well the extremism on either side yes. always seems to be yep. what ends uh, any kind of positivity so what was it pepper yes. grove like that whole the, that whole story arc um going but yeah. then we move right into the extremes on either side which immediately it's like a continual theme of of extremism on uh, either yep. sides of those issues yeah, that issue of the comic is my favorite, by the way. Uh, and it, if if I get a chance to write an episode next year, I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but that's I want to write that episode into the story because I think it's a really crucial episode. It's also one of the... Uh, it is the single fan favorite uh, episode of the comics because it, it, it touches on all the important issues that, that, are, that are going on. And um, I, uh, I want to explore that a lot more as the show goes on because we have format to do it. Well, there's so many characters that are from the that are from the comics that I'd love to see. Like, I want to see the Crimson Queen. I want to see I want to see uh, uh, the the uh, elite tactical unit. I want to see like all of them. And I, like, as I'm going through the show, I'm like, all right, they're gonna come in. All right, no, they're not yet. They're they're gonna come in. All right, no, they're not yet. And then all of a sudden it ends, and I'm like, all right, season two. I know exactly where season two is going. <laughs> yeah, they, they they gave us Big Dog, which yes. is nice. Um, but I do want to see the V8 tactical unit. Yes. And- very much want the Crimson Queen in there because I think that's a that's a critical character. Um, but you know, there's only so much you can put into the first episode because it's it's a massive origin story and it's the origin of a whole bunch of characters. So uh, we didn't want to go too top heavy with plot um, because we had so much plot already. Well, it's a lot so, to tell, especially with the ten episodes. That's a whole there, lot to tell. Um, there's actually some stuff even from later on in the, in the comics and later on in the, in the books that were would be a lot of fun like uh uh when celebrities get involved in the, in the comics we had you know george clooney and some other celebrities get involved in in creating the one world initiative and we had um a, one, a vampire kid trying to be a superhero uh it was in one of the uh there, there was a story called heroes don't wear spandex uh, <laughs> where she wants to be a superhero because she has vampire powers well, all sorts of things that we want to explore as, as time goes on and we're hoping that we'll have enough seasons to do that so one of the things that I noticed and I actually really enjoyed about this show is the length of each episode varied and it fit just the part of the story that they needed. Was that thought out ahead of time or was that done in editing and post? Well, that, that's that's a bit of a work in progress through the whole thing, because, you know, I was watching the dailies as they were shooting, which was interesting, is that they shot a lot more than was shown. And then there were rough cuts where, you know, which allows you to take a look at the whole thing. And then they brought this guy, Paul Herbin, who was this incredible editor. He did uh, the Creed movies. Oh, wow. Uh, so, I mean, he's top, top-notch editor. 
And, you know, he's he's in there to make cuts, even if it's sometimes a, a scene or a scene fragment you'd like to keep. If it doesn't serve the goal of that of that episode, that chapter, it has to go. And he went in there like a like a surgeon. And, yeah, I mean, some some of the episodes lost 10, 15 minutes. But wow. what we got is an episode that shot shot by and, you know, nothing is wasted on screen. There's no lag time in the episodes. That's that's kind of what he does. He makes sure that when you're done the episode, you're a little out of breath. And yeah. um, the pacing yeah. is wonderful. It yeah. does. It's yeah. very fast paced, but at the same time, slow enough where you still feel like you get to know everybody. Well, the first yeah. episode, which was the 55 minute one, you know, we're going through that and we wanted more. And it ended and my wife turned to me and was like, we can't go to bed yet. We have to watch the next episode. <laughs> and I had to get up in like four hours. I was like, I agree. We're watching the next episode. So uh, I like uh, the courage it takes for a show to go, you know what? We're only going to give you, you know, 27, 35 minutes of this, you know, but trust me, it's going to be worth it. And, and it, it makes it makes for, for binge watching because it's like, ah, it's like got to have one more potato. This is a big show. Hundred percent. This yeah. is a binge show. <laughs> like yeah. there's. Like, by the, by the way, speaking of watching the first episodes, um, IDW Entertainment, which is uh, the company that uh, originally published, you know, IDW Publishing published the books, and they're the, the co-producers of the show. Um, they sent me um, a bottle of Dom Perignon. Um, so wow. uh, my son and I, my wife, we opened that when uh, the show. <laughs> And, you know, we, we, we may have watched several episodes and gotten our way through the entire bottle. Of the same thing. <laughs> well played. <laughs> but chocolates to go with it, you know. And my wife, who's not, she's not into horror. She's not into any of this sort of stuff. She's like the gentlest human being on earth. And she's like, well, we can do another episode. We can do another episode. <laughs> we can do it. All the way to, you know, and then we, you know, within a couple of days, we had watched all 10. And she's like, all right, next season. Yeah. <laughs> so was that your first time going through everything? Um, I had seen the rough cuts, but I wanted to watch the show kind of like a viewer does. So we spent a, like three days going through all 10 episodes. Um, and I was I was watching the show. And then I was also, you know, going online to see what the reaction was. And, um, you know, plus I have a novel to write right now. So it can actually work. Um, You're busy, I, I, no I, way. <laughs> you know, I'm also a fan, even though even though it's my original source material. It's not I mean, I didn't shoot the show. So I, I wanted to, to make it last as long as I could, and three days was as long as I could. I feel like you have to be a fan of what you do, otherwise you get the last season of Game of Thrones. You know what I mean? Like you have wow. to, you have to enjoy what you do, otherwise you don't put any effort into it. So I'm glad you're a fan to hear that is a is a positive. Yeah, you really do, and also to be a fan of the way they did it. Um, and this is this is kind of an important thing. Let give you some backstory. Uh, my friend Charlene Harris wrote the books that True Blood uh, was based on. Okay. And you know, they, they don't match her books that closely, but she's like, first off, you know, just enjoy it because it's something so few writers ever get to experience. And if you're enjoying it, if you're a fan of the show, not only, you know, do you have a better relationship with, with the production uh, of it, but also they want you to be more involved in it because you're so happy. And, you know, I'm, I'm a kid in a candy shop at this thing. I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a TV nerd and, uh, going way, way back. And I have my own TV show. I could not be happier. I'm not sure I, I have stopped smiling since 12.01 Thursday morning. <laughs> I love that. No, it, it. we remember you talking about it, you know, a year and a half ago. 
and patiently waiting. And you said, oh, the trailer is going to get pushed back just a little bit more. They don't have everything 100% right. Trust me, it's going to be worth it. So when the trailer dropped, you know, we, we all watched it and texted each other like, this looks phenomenal. And we weren't oh. let down. Um, talking about the main character, Dr. Swan, uh, they mm-hmm. definitely made some changes to him. Was that the writers? Was that Ian? Was that you? Was it a combination of little column it, A, B, and C? That, that, was the, that was the writers and the producers when they first started the show because, I mean, in the books, he's a folklorist, and it works for the books for him to be a folklorist, him to be the, the, the expert on the different vampire types. But a folklorist is not, not the right character to drive a TV show. You want someone who's on the front lines, in in the you know visually visually on the front lines, working for a cure and so on. So making him a research physician was you know absolutely the right call, um, and I agreed with that change. They they ran it by me very tentatively, kind of afraid. <laughs> There's a pretty long history of writers overreacting to changes, so they're always afraid. You know, it's like sniff the glove. You know, uh, <laughs> there there have been so many times when a writer is like, you cannot make a change. You know. They don't want you to go Stephen King on them. But that was a smart change. And also making um, Michael Fane his best friend rather than just a Starbucks barista um, and a failed actor. um, It it also makes sense because now you have a a more visible emotional connection that plays off not only the acting skills, but the chemistry that that the characters have on screen. And uh, so they told me they were going to make those changes. And I was like, wow, that, that, I wouldn't have done that for the book. I still wouldn't have done it for the book. No. Because I like the way it plays out in the book. In the books, Ian, or not, I'm saying, Luther's never really connected to anyone. He's kind of the guy constantly buffeted to the side. Um, but in a TV show, you need someone who is front and center in the story. Well, absolutely, especially since we're going back into the prelude. Like, where the, the fact that the comic book opens up, like, mid-war, and then you explain, all right, you know, we are, uh, I'm, a, I'm a folklorist for vampires, and there's all these different types of vampires, that makes a lot of sense. But when there's, like, two, I guess, really in the show that we've seen? We've like, seen two. We've seen yeah. the Vertilac, and we've seen the kind of vampire that, that um, Adrian is. Um, and there, there are a couple of other vampires that will show up. Um, yes. Yeah, but, we were talking about that before the interview. <laughs> You know, understand, I mean, I before I, I started writing fiction, I did five nonfiction books on the folklore of supernatural predators around the world and throughout history. So, you know, I that's what got me interested in writing fiction in the first place. So there are hundreds of vampire species out there. You know, we're going to, uh, the comics, and the comic book, by the way, starts after the first volume of the, the book, the prose series, uh, which introduces the story. But even that starts talking about different species. Um, in the comics, we also uh, find out about Luther's daughter because mm. in the show he doesn't have a daughter, um, and his son is actually murdered in like the, the end of the first comic. But it, his daughter is a type of vampire that anytime she is around a human becomes a savage killer, so she can never be around humans, including her own father, ever again. And that that is a type of vampire, the French croque vampire. That species is just a killer. So, um, you know, we got to introduce that, and I'm sh- it's very likely we'll create other characters that riff off of that type of vampire 
and the many, 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 many other types of vampires. Because I'm thinking like, I'm just remembering the panel in the church when you look across all the people sitting in the pews and then you was like, there's the bat creature. <laughs> and then there's like in the, the jail cell, there was like the, uh, looked like a Japanese warrior, but it was the, with the vampire uh, curl like, fat. Yeah. Like there was so many, and I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, okay, how's this show going to pull this off? Because there's so many types. And that's one of my favorite parts about this as far as the vampire genre is concerned is that it's everything in one. And that's the most exciting part to me. So hearing that yeah, is exciting. If we had overdone it with too many vampire types in the first season, right? It, you know, if we had like a 22 episode first season, like it would have on like ABC or something, you could do that. But in 10 episodes, it would become confusing. And there's a danger of one of the more extreme vampires becoming comical, which mm. you don't want. So that's something you can introduce more in the second season when we start to see the variety of it and also uh, open up the concept of American melting pot vampires when you have intermarrying and different DNA blends that create types of vampires we haven't seen before. Yeah, the uh, uh, the Baraka tooth vampire starting off with that was cool. And then making that line like, I thought you said they weren't your Hollywood vampires. They don't bite and leave the two fangs. And when we get in, introduced to that second vampire was such a unique way of saying, hey, wait, hold up. <laughs> There's more. Yeah, and actually the Vertilock, uh, there are several variations of it, but it also touches on a little bit of, of um, th there's a, a vampire subspecies in France called the White Ladies of Fowl, F-A-U. And they are vampires who um, create glamours, like a, 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 a glamour is a kind of spell that they become very seductive and they draw you in. Very similar in structure to the old legends of a mermaid. Mermaids were beautiful until they got close, you got close, and then you were lunch. Uh, they they were not you know the characters from um, Disney. Uh, <laughs> little, my, little, uh, Sorry, um, baby Huey. Danica in the show is a little more like that, where she is um, very much seductive and and um, a little truer to the the White Lady of Foul slash Rudolph types of vampire. Mila's character, played by Laura Vandervoort, who did such a great job, establishes something about the vampire world that's going to be really important going forward. Certain vampires can choose what they want to do. That's I wanted to get into that because that's such a big part of the book that I didn't really see in the show, which is the the subset that are like, you know what, this is not my world. Like we're talking about going back to the extremes. Like for it feel yeah. like for the most part, except for Michael, who was kind of teetering, but even he had felt like until they had bigger numbers, then he would be more of an extremist. It didn't seem yeah. like there was that that subset of vampires left who were like, you know what, I'm not I'm not a part of this. Yeah, Adrian's character, Michael Fane, is, is a bit of a, a Che Guevara sort of character where, he, you know, once he's made his political decision that he's a different species, he's doing what's right for his group. Uh, and he's exerting control over his, his hungers by not feeding very often, not allowing him to feed very, at, at a price, of course. Um, whereas Ava, the, the number two in his group, um, she's like, no, I'm different. I'm I'm an evolved species. Y'all are lunch. We're, you know, that's. <laughs> yes. But some of the, you know, but species like 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 Mila, um, it's going to be really important to explore choice because, in in our in our own culture, we see people who are, for example, abused as children, and you know, yes, a percentage of abused children come on, go on to become abusers. Most do not, because there's nature and nurture, an argument most people talk about. But they forget there's a third component. It's nature, nurture, and choice. And the example there is Danica could choose not to do what she wants, but she enjoys it. Mila does not want any part of that, so she fights her own nature, which makes her a more noble sort of character. 
Um, oddly enough, if, if you ever watch, you guys watch Buffy and, and Angel, right? Of course. <laughs> All right. So Angel was, was not heroic, really, because he was cursed with his soul back. Whereas Spike, who was really evil, decided one day he's going to go out and fight for his soul. And he does so, and he actually becomes a noble, heroic character. Granted, he's still an asshole, but he's a noble, heroic asshole. Um, like because Mauer. he chose to get his soul back. He's the most heroic vampire in that entire series. Yes, he is. This. Yeah, and when I saw the first scene of her get the, the beaten stick out, and, and, <laughs> and crack that vampire across the head. I, I had that flash of like Angel or Spike, like, wait, uh, I, I know this. It felt comfortable, but knew all at the same time. And, you yeah. know, her putting the little hash marks on the bottom of it for how many she got. It, like, you automatically became attached to her and then related to her having a trouble with what she was and finding her place in the world. So that was done. All of the stories t- pull you in so Although, easily. Her yeah. her story, yeah, I feel. Laura like. sold that too. She she really sold that character. That whole the whole her relationship aspect of the show was so heartbreaking. Like that, I I I would argue that that might be my favorite arc of the show, just because <laughs> of that relationship scene, especially when she thinks someone's following her and the fangs come out. That's so hard to watch. It was so beautifully done. And, and the other actress, Bo Martin, she I mean she didn't have a huge part. But man, it broke my heart when when, uh, when she, you know, that 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 last that confrontation scene where they break it, it literally broke my heart. It was beautiful. That that's some good TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, question then, um, with I mean, obviously the show's doing well, right? There's we're not there's no question there. Uh, I'm I'm gonna keep my fingers crossed for a season two, and then you're already working on a novel, and you might be heavily involved in what a next season would be. Are you planning on going further down the V Wars pipeline with maybe more comics, more novels? Are we going to open this up to a whole new era of V Wars? Uh, a lot of that will depend on whether we get that second season pickup, mm. because then the publisher will probably kick into gear and want to do some more. That's we'll be um, doing. We have some some things planned. I can't talk about all of them. Uh, there was a new V Wars comic out this year. I don't know if you guys saw it. Got a death. Yes. That, exactly tie into the show but it brings the character of michael fane back oh because he's so quick uh, in the comic here's an interesting thing though this is this is one of those those things where and this is all spoiler stuff um where where we 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 see how creative minds kind of work together unintentionally i had not they they did a bunch of of additional shooting after i was um no longer watching the dailies they did they went back and did a few extra things so they had some really cool ideas I wasn't aware of what they were doing. Prior to that, I had decided to do a, a new comic that kind of brought viewers back in comic book form. And in my comic, uh, I, you know, since it's picking up in 2019, you know, um, seven years after after the last story we saw um, with uh, Luther, Luther had become a badass. He had started training uh, in martial arts. He'd started learning how to, how to do uh, uh, different types of combat. So we actually see him uh, rappelling down with, with an M16, you know, blasting away. And and nobody in the V-Wars TV show knew I had done that. And I was I, I, at Comic-Con, I sat down with James Gibb, the, the new producer. It was the first time I was meeting him. And I gave him a copy of the comic. He was leaping through it. And he gets to that scene where, where Luther's coming down. With, you know, He's like, how did you know we just shot something like that? I'm like, wait, what do you mean you just shot that? I've read all 10 scripts. That's not in there. 
And he said, yeah, you know, at, at the end of the show, Luther, you know, we jumped forward and Luther's like gone badass on us. And so both the creative team in the show, you know, and this is Ian and, and James primarily, and, and me separately saw that that's the natural evolution of the character. He couldn't be uh, on the sidelines anymore. He has to become more uh, dramatically involved in it. And, and um, it's kind of fun because we had exactly the same idea of where the character should go, but independently. That makes me like that scene a lot more, too. <laughs> knowing knowing that, yeah, that's, that was the trajectory that in the first place, uh, that makes me like that scene a lot more. Um, so that was, scene wasn't just for my wife. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was for, for your wife and, and 40 million other ones. Um, and we're teasing that because he, he posted a video of, of you know him from behind doing the, the pull-ups and um, didn't say what, what the context was. But that, that they were because he had he muscle up, man. He, he, you know, and he's got, a, he's got some guns going on now. Holy crap. Well, he said that in a bunch of interviews where he was talking about how, uh, no people nowadays, after looking at the numbers, don't want an ordinary hero. They want an extraordinary hero. But he also kept saying about how, uh, Luther's superpower was that he's a father and he's a scientist. And the, so you can see just in the interview, the transition to the extraordinary hero. <laughs> Yeah, and and you know everybody has buttons to push. Um, they took his son. It's probably going to be a really bad fucking move for the people who took his son. Um, I would say these things end well. <laughs> so yeah. Um, how early on did you know I, about I, that change? With the with his, how early on did you know about the change with his kids? Like was was that one a little weird for you? Because that was it's a, uh, it's pretty different as far as his children are concerned. Yeah, well, I mean, I knew that from the beginning because yeah. they, they, they told me that the whole show was going to be, you know, built around his relationship with his son. And I'm like, well, you know, I kind of killed the son off. Of should have come. <laughs> like, yeah, we want him, you know. Um, and also, you know, his the whole thing about the ex-wife. He did have an ex-wife in, in the comics. Um, who also gets killed off, by the way. Um, but they wanted to bring her in there and, and, and some other elements. So I knew that right from the beginning. And the kid who plays uh, Des, uh, Kyle Breitkopf, Fantastic young man. Um, he and his mother both become really good friends of ours and, and uh, just an enormously talented kid. I don't know if you guys saw, uh, there's a, a really good horror film called The Silence based on Tim Levin's uh, novel. Mm. And uh, he was he was in that. And uh, it was a Netflix film. And he's just a really good actor. He's also older than he looks. He's actually 14. Is he oh, really? Wow. <laughs> Wouldn't have guessed that. That kid is going to be carded until he's 90. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he will. Well, you can tell it had that family feel on the set, especially Ian's wife's, you know, in the show. And you got, a, got a feeling that they enjoyed every scene they shot together. Like, it, it oozes through the show. There's certain shows that do that. You, know, you can tell with the Arrow, the CW Arrowverse. You can tell they enjoy yeah. being there. Um, this had that feel five minutes into the first episode. Um, yeah. When uh, it's, it, 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 by the way, that, that family feel is, is really genuinely there too, because the cast acted like a family and they still do. I mean, they're like just watching Ian and Adrian together. I mean, they're, they are like brothers. Um, when Ian talks this, about we, everything, we he says how great everybody is. Yeah. Ian, Ian, Adrian, and I did an event in uh, Los Angeles uh, a little less than a month ago, and uh, we did a whole bunch of interviews. Then we did a signing and, and Q and A, 
But just the three of us backstage, you know, just just talking. Ian and and you would think Ian and Adrian had known each other since grade school, like, like just like Michael and 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 uh, Luther do. But it's it's just that they bonded so well, so quickly, and so deeply. And that's that's true of the entire cast. It's 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 become a family. And you hear about shows where the cast says we were a family. Now I've actually seen that. And it's it's pretty wonderful. Well, you can I mean, you could see it in the um, what the 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 farmhouse, not the farmhouse, but the, the house in the woods uh, when they meet for the um, the sit down where they go over yeah. terms. You can absolutely see the camaraderie between the two of them uh, yeah. on, on and off the, the eye roll. Not really that the eye gesture that Ian makes when he gets up to walk away where you could tell like he's losing him. Like just yeah. the subtleties of those moments in that, like that is by far my favorite episode. That tr- uh, the treaty truce episode, I yeah. I could watch over and over again. It's it's my actual favorite as well. Oh, I'm about um, to ask. <laughs> I, it, it's it's a it's a great you know it's a great episode and, and like I said it was Ian, Ian directed it so um, he he put his real heart into it. Is he sleeping? Also, the scene him and his ex wife, well his real wife who plays his ex wife. Um, range from, you know, the, the really acrimonious in that diner scene. And I wonder how much she enjoyed smacking him in the mouth. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and then that scene at the end where, uh, where she's like, what happens now? You know, it's, it's, it's an interesting arc because you see, even with a, with a divorced couple, you see that where the love was, right. you know, and the echoes of it are still there. And they play that as if that's their dynamic. Yeah, there were sparks. In that yeah. scene. And in real and in real life, they are the most loving couple. <laughs> uh, they're they're just they're, they're and they're so in love that when you stand next to them, your complexion clears up. I mean, it's like <laughs> that kind of wonderful purity sort of thing. Your complexion, and they have a really adorable baby. Oh my god! So you've got Ian going around doing every interview known to man right now. He was what GQ today. Us, Rachel Us. Ray, Rachel, Rachel Ray. Ray, Rachel Ray. <laughs> She just wanted him on to get him to recreate the pull-up scene, I assume. Um, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> you're in talks now. How soon may we find out about season two? It's a rough we question. We don't know. That's a and rough that's question. Thing with, with Netflix. Could, be, could be days. It could be months. We don't know. Um, Netflix is... If Netflix w- was given all the Defense Department secrets, no one would ever find them out. <laughs> uh, they, they are they run a tight damn ship and um, you know the, they'll tell us when when they, they want us to know and we all have a really good feeling about it because our numbers were so big um, and uh, the crowd the, the audience enthusiasm for it is massive so we're all thinking there's probably going to be a, uh, a second season well they've been so historically secretive with their numbers uh, th- them letting you involve like how much of the numbers are you actually seeing? Not much. <laughs> so are they more secretive than when you work with Marvel? Oh, yeah. They, they make Mar- Marvel look like an open open book. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, Netflix Netflix knows how to... I would not play poker with anyone at Netflix. <laughs> Hell. Um, and, and, but the, on the other hand, they're also a hell of a good company to work with because they really encourage creative freedom and and, and they're very supportive. So... Uh, I don't mind they're 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 you know playing it close to the vest. It's 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 how they they play their best game. 
All right, I don't want to. I don't want to deviate from V Wars for all but so long here, but I do have to ask one question. I knew this uh, was coming. I, just because the moment you said Marvel, I'm like, oh, that just popped in my head. Um, with the rumor of uh, of Doctor Doom making his first appearance in Black Panther two, um, yep. which would lead me to believe that a certain pro- prolific writer might be uh, the influence for said story. Um, I just want to see your snap reaction. <laughs> You know, there have been a couple of, uh, of people out there saying that uh, because it's a seven-letter title for the, the next episode, next movie of Doom of uh, Black Panther and Doom War, my, my run is a seven-letter title. That would be great. No one has said a goddamn thing to me. <laughs> I have, however, each night at midnight been sacrificing a goat to the other I think it's a great story to tell. I mean, I'm not just saying that because of me, but but because it, it it's a great way to introduce Namor and Doctor Doom, Absolutely. and Marvel has the rights to them now. Um, and and also, I know Letitia Costa wants to get into the Black Panther rig, you know, play want to play Shuri, and my run Shuri was the Panther. Mm-hmm. The was on his was had been injured by Doctor Doom and was trying to get back into being the Panther. So this allows everyone to get what they want. And um, so you're saying there's a chance every time I see a rumor site, it's just coming up Mayberry, you know, <laughs> I, 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 there's a chance. I don't know how strong a chance because nobody at Marvel has been sending me emails about it. <laughs> uh, I know the graphic novels continue to sell pretty well. Oh, so, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's keep the rumor that, train alive. Uh, you know, black cast members have read it. So we'll see. Hmm. Hmm. I do. What, one little cool thing, though, and this is my only contribution to the first movie is the patterns on the Black Panther's uh, uniform in the first film are actually based on the alchemical symbols that uh, we used in uh, Doom War when uh, he was trying to get his powers back. Really? That's awesome. Yeah. For which I, I, I am uncredited, but happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's very. I think you said that last year, too. Yeah, I'm uncredited, but happy. I feel like uh, that was an ongoing theme last year. Yeah, Uncredited, but happy. <laughs> but happy. <laughs> That's the pop culture nerd in me, just like being jazzed to be able to play here. So uh, I'm, her name is um, escaping me at the moment, but the uh, the reporter, um, going back to V Wars here, um, uh, Kaylee Vo in the show, and and Yuki Toby in the books. So different. Her relationship with Luther in the books is very different than we've seen in the show. And going back to the idea of this being an extended prelude, is this kind of the origin of how the two of them met, so to speak? I don't I don't really know what they as the one thing that that nobody's told me is where they plan to go with Kaylee Vo's character in the second uh, season. If we go there, um, I mean, they, they could continue building her character the way it is and bring in another character as a lo- love interest for for Luther. I don't know. Um, it, it, there are a lot of ideas being thrown around. I actually don't know what direction they're planning to take. I think some of it they're going to wait to see what fan reaction is to the characters in the show. But it gives us but such a Romeo and Juliet not vibe. something they have shared with me yet. I hope that happens. Is Where would you like to see that go? Like, now that you're, uh, you're, you might be more involved in the writer's room. Um, mm. Ooh. <laughs> Here's the problem. I've made a couple suggestions, and just in case one of them is actually used, I should probably not say. That's fair. Just say <laughs> there's a fangy character in the, in the show that might make a, a, a better or more complex relationship for Luther. Oh, I know where you're going, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it a lot. It's all right. Lock, lock it away. I like it. <laughs> and also, one of the other things about a second season is, you know, there is a time jump. So we don't know what 
new characters could be introduced in a second season that we, we just simply don't have now, whether they're characters that come from the book or decide or characters completely created at a whole cloth. We don't know. So like if, for example, if, if they get a budget jump, which, you know, you always want the second season, they could wind up getting a, a you know, a bigger named act, actress to come in and play that role. Or, or they, they could just have Luther being a loner for the season, you know, just so heartbroken because everything's going wrong and he hasn't yet found his son. You know, you don't know. Um, With the budget you talked about, the one thing I love is the look of what they pulled off with each vampire looks amazing. They're crossed between CG and I think some practical on there turned out really well. Yeah, originally it was it was practical effects and it just wasn't scary enough. And it's weird because I usually don't like practical effects in horror. I like it in science fiction. I like it in fantasy. I usually don't like it in horror. But they pitched an idea of what the practical effects would look like for the transformation of Ava and um, Jess and, and, and Michael. And they're like, wow, this could really be scary. It's expensive. It's being scary. And everybody's like, yeah, I think we need to go CGI on this one. So uh, just about everything you see in terms of, of vampire effects is, in fact, CGI. Oh, I love the pulsing but veins. done really well. Yeah, it, so, I well, normally like, pick that stuff out. Gila, with their fangs, it looks like practical, but it's, it's, also, it's CGI. Wow. That gives uh, new respect because the guys on the show know when I see bad CGI, it pulls me out of the, mo- the movie or the show immediately. And oh, I... look, Ben Helsing. For example, oh, oh, we that, that movie, the, the CGI killed it. And and actually one that I was kind of tangentially involved in, um, the remake of The Wolfman. Mm. They had Rick Baker do practical werewolf transformation effects and, they didn't use and it. CGI'd over it. Oh, That's like putting a drop ceiling in the Sistine Chapel. It is an actual what the fuck moment. <laughs> um, and I, I wrote the novelization of that. It's my first bestseller. And I'm watching the movie and I'm like, you know, just totally stunned. Uh, there was no part at which that was scary. Yeah, it's it looks really well. I can't wait to see what they do when they do introduce new vampires. Right. That's... Especially if they get a budget jump and we can do some of the more grotesque vampires and yeah. see what that goes on. Uh, it was awesome. And just enough gore. I, I will say it wasn't overkill. Yeah, but when it when it needed to be gory, because I mean the comics gory. So when it needed to be gory, it was gory. Like I love when uh, Luther gets the gun for his first time and and he loads <laughs> on the dude on the ground, and yeah. you just see his chest get smaller and smaller and smaller. <laughs> yeah. That 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 was a great scene. I, I need a doctor. I am a doctor. That is my favorite favorite drama line in the whole show. Um, uh, my favorite comedy line, though, is when when uh, the little girl saying it's down, you know, uh, we're going downstairs. Of course, it's in the basement. You know, it's, it's a basement. <laughs> you know, that little exchange is is, is freaking hilarious. Well, from but, sarcasm to humor, like the line uh, where she says, "You're supposed to, you messed up. You're supposed to offer me candy first. And yeah. Then start, like it hits so well, and you're like that that girl's got attitude. Oh well, I mean, Sydney Sydney Meyer played Ava. She's about a foot tall. She's this little tiny petite person with tremendously big power and she I, I when she stops in front of that truck and is just looking with attitude just like holy crap she is so owning that moment yeah. and uh um the even though she's playing with actors who are like twice her size there's no one overshadowing her in any of those scenes that would that's she definitely made that role a much bigger role 
just from her screen presence. It, it could have been a throwaway or a failure, but you get an actress like Sydney. She comes in there and she 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 blows it away. Going into um, going into the idea of of uh, pulling in new characters, especially even for season two, one something that kind of. I couldn't help but make the comparison is Martin. So going to the comics for a second, you got the when um, uh, when the uh, reporter is tied up, you got this this suave vampire comes out and tries to tell his side of the story, but it starts a little dark and then it gets uh, it gets you kind of see where he's coming from. And I feel like Michael is Martin. Is that a character coming down the line, or are we do we already have him? Uh, I no, I don't. I really don't think they based. Um, Michael's Michael Fane's character on Martin from the comics at all. Let's I would see. like to see Martin show up, however, yeah, me because too. he is so much more in control of who he is. Um, now, it's possible that you know if Adrian is still alive, because we don't know if Michael Fane is still alive at the end of the episode. Um, I ain't saying shit. Um, <laughs> but if, if he's in the next season, they they could easily combine those two characters. That's what I feel like happening. One of the one of the, the thoughts, and this is something a fan had suggested, and it's not me saying I know anything about it, but a fan had suggested that Adrian now separated from Blood Nation could could uh, team up with someone like the Crimson Queen and be essentially the Martin character. Okay, uh, wow. that is an interesting, not my idea. It's a fan idea, but it's a it's an interesting direction to go in because it would be redemptive for Michael Fane as well. Well, that's what it just it felt like because again, taking the idea of that it's just kind of an extended uh, uh, first couple couple pages of the comic. That's where it felt like Michael was kind of going. It's like they took they took Martin's character, they took Michael's character, they said, okay, here's his origin. Like that we just kind of reshuffled things around so that way he becomes the hand of the uh, Crimson Queen. Yeah, if if that happens. And I, except, again, I don't know if that happens. I would actually be cool with it because I think that would be a really smart thing to do. But you would need someone like an Angela Bassett to to play the Crimson Queen. That would be so cool. Hard because you need someone with that much power, that much personal power. All right. So now we know what petition to start on Change.org. <laughs> Angela Bassett as the Crimson Queen, and uh, we'll we'll make that happen at the end of this. <laughs> right. All right. Wanted to get your opinion on something we've talked on the show over the past few weeks uh, with you now dabbling in always writing, you know, this being your show, uh, Martin Scorsese and talking about cinema and the superhero movies being not cinema. Have you thought about it? Have you put any weight behind any of it? (laughs) First off, um, I disagree with him. Second, it was a small thing to say. There's no reason to throw that punch. I don't know why he would do it, but it's it's a small thing to have done. Um, those movies entertain a lot of people. There's some really good stuff in there. They are, I, I think maybe there's some jealousy that, that those are the most popular films of, in history now. But it's just small, and it's beneath him to say that. And I'm really surprised he did. Well, I think so, he, I still think he was talking about fandom films in general, but even going yeah. into that, I feel like he didn't need to explain himself in an op-ed. The op-ed was good because it definitely pulled, like, explained a lot more about where he was coming from, but it just felt unnecessary. Very unnecessary. Uh, it doesn't. There's no good accomplished by it. Now, since it's you're, you might say at a party when you're expressing your opinion, but to make an op-ed out of it, to make a big, you know, social media thing out of it. Um, to me, just felt like like small. It could have been uh, a push for the Irishman, to be honest with you. Yeah, did you watch the Irishman yet? Nope, probably won't either. 
<laughs> that's probably you know what i never i didn't think about that before but that actually um, changes my opinion on all of this now maybe that was just a, a backhanded way to to promote the irishman that's what it's yeah but it, it, it to me it doesn't and I, you know i i i love robert de niro i think he's, he's fantastic I, I like everybody's involved in it and it is a netflix movie so you know there there is some conflict for me but at the same time i i it was a bullying comment and i i I'm not the audience for that kind of a comment. I'm really not. Love that answer. Love that answer as I look you in the eyes, Mauer. <laughs> he, he's a good man. I am not. <laughs> Listen, I could talk to you for six hours. I think we said this last time. We were like, oh, we'll do a half hour or so. And then like an hour and 30 minutes in, <laughs> we finally stop. Um, we'll have to hook up again maybe when yeah. the seven-letter title for the Marvel movie gets a, a trailer. Um, yeah. Got a bunch of product, a bunch of projects coming up next year. They're going to be a whole bunch of fun too. Some of which I can't announce yet, but listen, um, when you're ready to, we're here. <laughs> you have the open invite as many times as you want to come on the show. We never have more fun than when we talk to you. I just want to have. Well, I feel the same way. I think we, if we were in the same area, we would hang. I love that you said that. I want to yeah. do a random news show. Right where we because we do a we do a Wednesday news show. I want to do a random news show and not tell anybody, and then just have you guest on it. Just randomly talk about, just have you on, just randomly to talk about the news. Oh, man, man, I'll, I'll see if I can find a really good bit of news to drop on your show. Oh, it's know? so good. Sold, it. and we've got it recorded. <laughs> we've got witnesses. Pennsylvania is a uh, a verbal contract state. We got yeah. it. Uh, and by the way, I'm back in Pennsylvania in May. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll, you know where I'm going to be in May. Yeah, I'll, where? I'll be in California. Uh, fuck. Um, <laughs> I want to say that every day. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to be the keynote at the uh, Pen Writers Conference in Lancaster. Oh, really? Oh, so cool. Middle, or middle of May. Well, and, awesome. uh, Maybe the rest of us I, butt Mauer will go. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm yeah. going to be in. I come, back to, I come back to the Philly area every year. Um, and uh, you know what's weird, though? Despite the fact that I work, I wrote for Marvel, uh, Dark Horse, IDW, I might be doing something for DC. I have never, ever been invited to a Comic-Con in Philadelphia. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. We've got you. We got you. <laughs> Problem solved. We invited. Will, <laughs> we will invite you. We'll take care of everything. You're going to be out here. All right. Because they, it's one of those things, you know, the biblical thing, a prophet is never accepted in his own country. It's like, of, you know, there aren't that many comic book writers from Philadelphia. And I'm pretty sure that with my Marvel work, I'm at least in the top three, if not the number oh, you, one, in you, terms of sales. What the actual hell? We went to both shows last year. You would have immediately it, made it better. We'll talk, <laughs> we'll talk to Keystone Con starting tomorrow. Yep. And sounds good. We're going to make this happen. If we make that happen, the first round first round of good stuff is on me. There we go. Listen. And, and the second round of horrible stuff, that's on me. <laughs> and the third round of good stuff will be on me. Yeah, I don't, make, right. I don't get that kind of money. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's do our quick outro, and then I don't want to end this. I know. But... Neither do I, but and I really don't like the way you just said that either. Can you do it again? I'll, Menti? I'll back. I'll come back. Don't worry. Awesome. Menti, do that thing. You can find the show, Welcome to Fireside, everywhere online, at Welcome to Fireside, your social media choice, unless it is uh, Twitter, which is Fireside Crew. But again, WelcomeToFireside.com is the easiest place to go. First, we love everybody. We're about to go on break soon, so I just want to go ahead and say it again. All the support that we've gotten over the last year has been huge. Thank you so much for uh, the continued support, the likes, the rates, the shares. They all go a long way. Once again, I'm Menti. I'm Baby Dewey. And I'm Mr. Mauer. 
I don't have a new part to my outro yet until we get. <laughs> yeah, we some, can. We still can't say about there's that. There's some news that we got to talk about. We're not allowed to say it yet. So um, don't, stop right there. We can't uh, say it yet. But, <laughs> stop. Jonathan, where can we find you? Uh, JonathanMayberg.com. And if you, the only way to get there is spell my last name right. Everybody wants to put a Y <laughs> in the middle of it. Don't. It's M A B. It's like Mawberry, M A B E R Y. Look up Jonathan Mayberry. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Snapchat, I think. I'm, I'm every, every damn where. Everywhere. <laughs> Find me and have some fun. Awesome. Thank you. V-Wars is about melting polar ice, releases an ancient disease that triggers a dormant gene, and people start turning into vampires. It becomes a global pandemic which pits uh, human beings against the next stage in evolution.